Yo, hello? Yo, <laughs> what up everybody? Greatest show on dirt. Live from the Sweet Bee Studios. I'm your host, Quentin. Listen, on today's episode, I don't know how I pulled it off, but <laughs> it's supposed to be the mayonnaise sandwiches and the ham's beer that I drink that are energizing me to take the podcast to another level. But I've got my first outside guest today on today's podcast, right? It's not my brother. It's not a family member. It's not someone I've been blackout drunk with. You know what I mean? Brad Baluchian. Brad Baluchian is who I interview on today's podcast. He wrote a book called The Wax Pack. And what he does is he opened up a pack of 1986 tops, which had 15 cards in it. And he went on a road trip in his Honda Accord, drank about a million cups of coffee, and interviewed every single person in the pack of cards. It is a phenomenal book. If you love baseball nostalgia, you will love this book and you'll love this episode. Now, as soon as I finish reading the copy of the book he gave me, I'm probably gonna give this book and order a few more books and just give them away. Listen, so this this interaction with Brad sort of started as like a promotion, which this podcast doesn't do a whole lot of. And I now look at Brad as a friend because digging into this book, I felt so much nostalgia through him and through what he wrote. It's like, we're just buddies now. So before this podcast, I had never talked to him in my life outside of a few text messages. And I've got to say, on a personal level, this book is phenomenal. I can't wait to give some away. That's just how much I love it. And at the beginning of the book, it talk, he talks about the Topps factory, you know, like in 1986, like what a factory looked like. And I thought it was just so interesting. And one of the things I have to mention before you get into the episode is the book talks about how they made the gum. Like, they would make the the gum. Like, what the hell? Like, how does gum in a Topps wax pack last, like, 30 or 40 years? Who knows? But they would make this shit in one-ton cauldrons. This gum in one-ton cauldrons. And then they would pump it out 25 bricks, 25-pound loaves at a time of this gum. And it's just... It is a truly interesting book, and you don't even really, I know if you listen to this podcast, you're a baseball fan, but what's so amazing about this book is you could read it and love it and not even be a baseball fan or not even really be that much into cards because it's it's a phenomenal story. I can't say it enough, so I'll stop ranting now. Here is Brad Baluchian, author of The Wax Pack. Yeah, all right, Brad, we are live, man. What's up, everybody? Greatest show on dirt coming to you live from the Sweet Bee Studios. I'm your host, Quentin. And on this episode, listen, if you listen to this podcast, usually it's me just ranting, drinking beer, and talking about how much food I eat. But I actually have a guest today, author of The Wax Pack, Brad Baluchian. Brad, how's it going, man? Thanks for having me on, Quentin. <clears throat> Excuse me, doing pretty well. Dude, right on, man. Thanks for uh, being on the podcast, first and foremost. So, um, the book, okay, so let's jump right into this book. So first and foremost, you, okay, here's where I'm going to start. I remember being a kid and going with my mom to like the grocery store and me just like talking her in to buying a pack of baseball cards, usually like some bubble tape or some big league chew, and then getting a bouncy ball from the quarter machine on the <laughs> way out. Now, what you've done is you've opened up a pack of 1986 tops. 15 cards and a piece of gum, right? That delicious, delicious, chalky gum. And you went out of this one pack and tracked the players down to talk to them. That's right, yeah. it's. Uh, I think pretty much everyone between the ages of like 37 and 54, you know, can kind of relate to the, the story you just said, which is that, 
going into the grocery store, the pharmacy, the convenience store, you know, wanting one, a pack or two of baseball cards, some candy. So I had that same experience growing up. Um, and I always wonder what happened to the players that I grew up collecting. You know, I had thousands of cards and knew all their statistics and names and everything. And uh, it was just a, a crazy you know, kind of eureka idea of like, well, what if I got a pack that had never been opened and then was at the mercy of whatever random 15 guys are in that pack, those would be the guys that I would go try to find and make it into this, you know, quintessential cross country road trip where um, I told the story and, you know, and, and write a book about it. So it's like telling the story of the journey to find these guys. So it's not just their stories, but it's also a road trip book and the story about my life and kind of weaving it all together. You know, and that's the thing about the book. Like when you talk about weaving it all together, like as soon as I started this book, I realized that you maybe wouldn't have to be necessarily a baseball fan to enjoy the actual book. Like as I'm getting into it, like, yeah, you talk about the baseball cards and the the opening chapter, the prologue, talks about the Tops factory. And I'll get into that here in a second, but that piece right there alone was so awesome for, you know, like a baseball fan and a collector, right? Like I remember getting all these cards and spreading them out on my like bedroom floor and sorting them out and stuff like that. And, but as your book, right, unfolds, you get these real player stories, but also like a real life story on your part, right? And I think that that is so, it's intriguing and it's important, but it's also very meaningful because, you know, like I'm 37 years old, right? And you, are you 36 or 37? No, I'm 40 now. Oh, you're 40 <laughs> now. Okay. Because yeah. I know when you wrote the book, I think you were 34, 35, right, right on. Right. But, so, but we're sort of in that same realm, right? And these cards are like so meaningful to us. And when we think back on them, there's so much. It's like, who would have ever thought that these little cardboard pieces of like picture paper, right? When, you know, baseball cards were originally made, like you said in the book. So, you know, companies could sell cigarettes to people, right? Right. And these things have become so meaningful, but they shape so much of our lives, right? And you being 40 and me being 37. And it's like, even today, which it's so crazy, you can open up a pack of cards from 86 that have never been opened before. And it's not just right. about like the players that are in there and the stats, but it's like the way it makes us feel and the journey that it takes us on and the relationships that we build, you know, via this pack of baseball cards, right? It's so interesting. And I think you tell that story so well in the book. Yeah, thanks. No, I mean, it's, um, my approach was definitely non-conventional and, but very intentional in that I, I was hoping to write something that a non-baseball fan could appreciate. Um, and I think a lot of people who may not know that it's really about more than baseball may be surprised when they kind of get into it. And they're like, Oh, you know, they may be expecting, something much more straight ahead, traditional about these players. And, um, you know, but I always like, I like to write what I, I, I my goal when I write is to write something that I would want to read, you yeah. know? And so I'm trying to think about when I am a reader, I personally like um, storytelling where the content isn't necessarily the most important thing, but how the story is told you know, the emotional investment is what's most important. How entertained you are is just as important as what you're, what you're learning in the story. And so yeah, it was, it was uh, when I was developing the idea, I know all, a lot of the 
people in the publishing industry, the the gatekeepers, the editors, the agents, really discouraged me from doing what I did. And, and it's why it was so hard to get published because they were like, ah, no one cares about you. You know, no one wants to read about your OCD or your personal life. You know, stick to baseball. Don't put yourself in the story. You know, all of that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of went against their advice because I just, I believe that the book had a lot greater appeal and could be a lot more if I was allowed to, um, you know, go beyond just the confines of telling old baseball stories. Yeah. Yeah. It's with like, when you talk about like the OCD and things like that, right? Like that is, I know like on my Instagram, right? Um, somehow by just some sort of crazy accident, right? It's got a, we've built like a pretty big following on it. Right. And I feel like Mm -hmm. even through that Instagram, like I've made a lot of friends and sort of, you know, help build this community. And the reason why I say help is because the community only happens with, you know, with myself, but also the people that, you know, choose to participate in it. And when you start to build those relationships around baseball, right, there are a lot of people that I'll talk to that talk about really deep, like family stuff like that, like stuff they went through as a kid, stuff they go through as Mm -hmm. adults and things like that. And, you know, like the OCD mentioned, and then like your relationship that you talk about a little bit in the book, like that stuff is so meaningful because those are the sort of things that, um, you know, baseball's always, you know, been along for the ride for. And right. As as we get older, it's funny, like how we still use baseball to tell a deeper story. Right. So like when I read the book, like I sort of have like my own anxiety and OCD issues as well. And it's sort of cathartic. Mm -hmm to read about, I guess, somebody that has that, not like, oh, you got it too, whatever, but it's just sort of, like, it's meaningful to hear somebody, yeah. I I like to say that the book is kind of like holding up a mirror, Yeah. right, in that um, by me talking about those things, inevitably, you're going to think about those things, Uh and, you know, for some people, that can actually be, you know, uncomfortable, and so, you know, Mm -hmm. I think some people who may not be as uh, versed in sort of exploring their feelings, you know, mm-hmm. it may, they may not like that, but I think um, it's hard to read the book and not reflect back on your own relationships with yeah. your dad or your son mm-hmm. or your spouse or, you know, people in your life. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it hits on that really well. And it's just like, I think it's that sort of approach, like you said, with like it being uncomfortable and stuff and really making people think about it. Like, I think it's things like your book that help to build relationships as, you know, people in our generation get older. So I think the book, you know, does a lot on that front too, is, mm-hmm. you know, not only helps people look at themselves, but like, I think, you know, building love and building good relationships and like good friends as we get older, like I think is a really important thing. And like I said, when you had sent me the book, I was like, oh, this guy's going to send me a book to promote it and I'll have him on the podcast. And now I'm Mm -hmm. looking at this podcast we're recording and I'm sort of like, this isn't really a book promotion thing. Like I'm talking to a friend (laughs) at this point, like I've never met you. And this is literally, we've been talking to each other for eight minutes and 45 seconds. That's as long as we've known each other. But like (laughs) me opening up this book, like I feel like this sense of community when I read it. And the fact that it centers around baseball, yeah, makes me think about the stuff that went on in my life. And I'll think about things that, you know, like that feeling of nostalgia, like it sort of feels like a fresh wound, like it sort of hurts, 
But then at the same right. time, it feels really good to think about those old memories. And I get all of that in this book. And I think that's what, you know, in, anybody that reads it, right, myself included, like that's what you, I think I get most out of it is, you know, you really, you know, get a chance to think about your life and reminisce on good times and hard times. And it sort of helps build character. Like I've got an 11 month old now. And to think about stuff like this, like it helps me to reflect like, you know, what I've been through in my life, but it really you know, helps, it motivates me to, you know, with the family I have to do really good and, you know, get excited about that family and, you know, raise a daughter and, you know, just build this family with my wife. And that is a completely crazy thought because this book started with you opening a pack of baseball cards and going on (laughs) a road trip. And like, I'm feeling all of these things. And I think that's the beauty of baseball, right? Like these, you know, just this simple ball and a stick and these cardboard cutouts. And I just love it, man. Right. Yeah. I mean, I I think I say in the book at some point that the beauty of baseball is that it's, it's so slow that it is actually an asset that it, it provides a backdrop to build relationships. It does. And to, and to work on relationships. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, while some people criticize it for its slow pace, I think that's actually the key to its, its beauty is that it is this, game with no clock um and you're not in a rush you know and um i think that you know your your listeners should know that um i think what you're getting at also is is not just me sharing my life in the book but as you go through the chapters you'll see in some several of these former players uh who are very forthcoming about their own struggles and their own broken relationships especially with their fathers and I think that the father-son relationship really comes through as a central theme in the book. And again, it, if you are a dad, well, everyone, everyone has a dad, but if you are a dad yourself, it also um, makes you think about, like you said, like, well, how am I doing in, in my relationship, in my parenting? And, you know, and, and hoping, to be a, hoping to learn from some of these sad stories that, you know, I'm wanting to be a better father. Yeah, that's a good point, right? So that is sort of, I had a notes written about that, right? So you have got these Major League Baseball players to open up to you in a way that is unbelievable. Did you expect players to open up to you like that on a personal level? Well, I hope they would, but I didn't expect, I mean, I that was what I was betting on, right, was that I could, I mean, I, I should say I was surprised, even with my best optimism i was surprised by how forthcoming they were um in a in a good way i was surprised um i i just figured well i'm gonna you know have my series of questions and i'm going to kind of roll with the punches and depending on how they answer things um and i'm not going to shy away from hard questions where it's relevant Uh, i really tried to you know not ask questions that were superfluous to the the meaning of the chapter or the book, but mm-hmm. where I felt it was relevant, like Randy Reddy's wife, you know, what happened to her, oh, Gary yeah, Templeton, right. you know, this, this mention that I, one or two mentions that I found of, of him having a child really early on in life out of wedlock, you know, never heard from again, like, well, what, what happened there? I mean, it, all of that is because to me, I was trying to understand these, these, these players as people, not as, not as players. And, you know, relationships are the most important thing in, in someone's life, I think. And so I, I really wanted to know or answer some of these questions that had remained unanswered in my research. And, and yeah, no, I was, it, was, um, it was very 
nice to see how much these guys trusted me to open up to a stranger um, and, and share some really personal things. Yeah, I mean, it makes... Like, when I was reading through stuff like that, like with Gary Templeton, Rand, is his name Randy Reedy or Reddy? Reddy. Okay, Reddy. good, good, because I never knew, because, see, now that's the thing about it, right? So a lot of the players you have mentioned in the book, right, like you talk about, like, Vince Coleman, right? Like, that's a player that I know. Carlton Fisk, that's a player I know. But what's so great about this is I learned so much about guys that I didn't know a lot about, like like Randy Reddy and Don Carmen, and it made right. the players seem so real, right? Like, always, like, from the time I was a kid, like, I always thought about Major League Baseball players, like, are these really, like, real guys? Like, they, they play <laughs> right. a kid's game. They make millions of dollars. Like, they could go out and buy a DeLorean and an Elon Musk right. flamethrower, like, any day of the week, <laughs> right? And so right. as you unpack these stories, it's like I fall in love with the players and I'm interested in them, right? So I was reading Randy Reddy's Sabre page yesterday and, you know, figuring mm -hmm. out, like, how he played in high school and that one season in a Puerto Rican league, he was battling Don Mattingly for a batting title. And I'm into <laughs> it. And it's almost like it made me love the game even more, even like right. the current game, because you get a chance to appreciate the names that you may have not paid attention to because you weren't a Brewers fan, so you didn't know Randy Reddy, or you may have not known Rance Mullenix because you didn't watch a lot of Blue Jays baseball. And that sure. portion of it, I liked a lot. Like, Rance Mullenix was a part of some really good Toronto Blue Jays yeah. teams. And even, like, the Gary Templeton aspect of it, that section right. was really interesting because I only really knew of Gary Templeton, you know, sort of, like the high-level headlines you would read, like Hothead gets traded from St. Louis because him and right, Whitey Herzog right. don't get along. But, like, that's not the story at all. And so right. I'm reading about these players, and it's almost like a rookie coming into the league now that you get to really, like, see, oh, that's a new player I don't know. So I'm digging into this, and I'm like, oh, I didn't know that about Gary Templeton. Or, wow, Randy Reddy could really hit. Like, he battled Don Mattingly for a batting title right. in Puerto Rico. Like, that's nuts. And then the Don Carmen aspect of it, like I, poor Don Carmen lost the perfect game because Milt Thompson bounced the ball off of his glove. <laughs> like I felt so, like I felt that pain right there. And like I obviously like don't want to give up too much of the book or whatever. But the Don Carmen situation was like yeah. that was I think to me, like obviously I'm not done with the book, but that was one of the most like captivating player stories I've ever read. Like I know, like one of my yeah. favorite baseball players of all time is Dick Allen. And I always mm -hmm. thought he had just a phenomenal story coming up, right? From, you know, the minor leagues getting to the pros and everything that he had to go through. And like Don Carmen's is obviously a different story that happened like in a different time period, but it also has this right. very human appeal to it when you read it. And it's just like, oh, this isn't just a guy that makes money right. and could buy a flamethrower with every paycheck, right? Like you have somebody that has, you know, day-to-day -day problems like me and you have, you know, sort of, uh, yeah. you know, from think, like where he came from to, you know, getting psyched up on the mound and all of that. I think um, for, for me, the Carmen, I mean, he was my favorite player as a kid, so that would made it that much more special. But the fact in the book that I actually went and found his little tiny town where he grew up in Western Oklahoma yeah. first and then met him, when he tells the story that's the really heavy, you know, tragic trauma that he went through as a kid, um, it, it resonated that much more because just a week ago I had been 
literally standing in the rubble of his homestead yeah. of his house in Oklahoma. So like, and I, and I do my best to, to do that for the reader too. Like I take you there first and then we go to Florida and we find Gar- Don Carmen today. And, and so when he tells the story of his childhood, you have some context for what that looks like. So did you grow up on the East coast or the West coast? So I grew up in Rhode Island. Yeah. I oh, guess you, you'll, okay. you'll see in the, if you haven't gotten to the end yet, um, about two thirds of the way through, I actually go back to the town I grew up in nice. like in the house. And I, I talk about that whole experience. Now that is probably a section that I can't wait to get to because I'll still, so I'm originally from Illinois, but I'm just outside of Charlotte, North Carolina right now. And going, I, I'll mm-hmm. go anytime I go home, like I always have to stop by the field that I played baseball at. My parents still live sure. in the same house. And that journey's fun. Like I'll always go home and like dig into the closet and see if I can find any baseball cards or Teenage Mutant Ninja yeah. Turtles or anything like that and see what I can get my hands on. Um, right. So I definitely can't wait to read that section. Like that's going to be a blast, no doubt about it. Um, was I gonna? How was I gonna? Oh, let me ask. How how did Don Carmen become your favorite baseball player? Did you just like his card? Did you read the stats on the back? Like, how did that come to be? Because Don Carmen, yeah, guy, like I hadn't even ever heard of. And there are like cards from my childhood. Like I had a Felix Jose rated rookie when I was a kid. I think it was like an '89 Donruss, and I don't know why I loved that card, but it was like right. I just looked at it and I was like, oh man, I like that. Like, is that how it was <laughs> yeah. with Don Carmen? What happened? Yeah. It- it's kind of that. I mean, I, I was a Phillies fan and he was a pitcher on the Phillies. Um, so it wasn't completely random, but then mm-hmm. within the Phillies, yeah. Why did I fixate on Don Carmen and not Bruce Ruffin or, you know, Greg Gross or any number of other guys that were not star. I mean, I always liked underdogs. So that was made sense that I, you know, Carmen was not a star player. Um, but beyond that, yeah, I think it's kind of that um, just uh, innate thing. I just liked like the guy and you know and then it's in the book you know i talk about when i get to know him and get to hear his backstory it's like it was a little bit eerie how much i related to him in terms of like you know what he's like as a person what i'm like as a person and and i sort of felt this this connection to him um which was kind of kind of cool and kind of weird but um you know (laughs) it, it all worked out really nicely yeah one of the um like one of my favorite part, I think of the Don Carmen story was, I think it was at the end of the chapter where you guys played catch and I was like, I was taken back immediately. Right. So my dad always worked construction and he would wake up at like 4am every day. He's out of the house at five. He'd get back at four and we'd play catch. Right. We'd go through the whole routine, play Mm -hmm. catch in the backyard until supper was ready. And you know, mom would make like meatloaf and Mac and cheese or something. And I'm (laughs) reading that and I'm like, Oh, that's so awesome that he got to play catch with like his hero, right. His favorite player. Right. right. And then you guys were talking while you were playing catch and it got to a point where you guys were playing catch in silence and it was just, the ball back and forth and right. that I loved that part. Cause that took me back to like all of the emotion of, right. you know, my childhood with, you know, playing catch with my dad and just like how much that meant. And not just because of the catch aspect of it. Like when I look back now at playing catch with my dad, I think of everything but baseball, right? Like his sacrifice Mm -hmm. when it came to, Mm -hmm. you know, working nearly seven days a week, still making time to play catch with me and coach little league and really just busting his ass day in and day out. And then when I look at my daughter and my family now, I'm like, like, that's what I need to do. Right. 
And in that right. moment, right, when you and like you had mentioned that you and Don had a lot of similarities and then you start playing catch and you're talking and then all of a sudden you're not and you're just playing right. catch. And it's like that moment right there says so much about the intersection of baseball and life and just how beautiful it is and how meaningful it is and how it can sort of go just from generation to generation. Like you have a, a player from Oklahoma. What town in Oklahoma was he from? Uh, Camargo. Camargo, Oklahoma, right? And then you from Rhode Island. And like this yeah. was your favorite player. Like you wrote – I love the – birthday card you wrote him where you marked out a, a word on it put like pitching or throwing or something and right. it's like that's where the intersection of life in baseball I think comes in because you got this kid from Rhode Island and he's got this favorite right. baseball player who's been all who started in Oklahoma and now he lives in Naples and he works for Scott Boris and is a baseball psychologist and you guys meet and come together through baseball but then when you leave that interaction with him, it's almost about everything but baseball. And that is a beautiful mm -hmm. thing. Yeah, no, it's, um, you know, you couldn't really script a, a better um, situation with getting to meet your childhood hero. I mean, I, I briefly mentioned at the beginning of the book how my first book attempt 15 years ago was to write a book about the Iron Sheik, the professional wrestler. Yes, that's and awesome. How, and how that went completely sideways. And like, so as well as Don Carmen went, the Iron Sheik was the exact opposite. So I, I, I kind of know the two extremes of the spectrum when it comes to getting to know your childhood heroes. Dude, I remember, first of all, I remember when I found out wrestling was fake, I had a broken heart. Like, I don't remember when I found out <laughs> Santa wasn't real or any of that stuff. Right. But I remember when my older brother told me wrestling was fake, and I thought my heart just <laughs> dropped out of my body. And I was like, what? And there's a documentary called Bigger, Faster, Stronger. And the guy that yeah, did it was a – you've watched that, right? And apparently there's a part in there where I guess the Iron Sheik – I guess in real life WWF, the Iron Sheik and Hacksaw Jim Duggan were feuding. And then all of yeah. a sudden Hacksaw Jim Duggan and Iron Sheik got arrested together speeding down the interstate with a bag full right. of coke. And I was like, oh, my yeah. God. And I think that's how he found out wrestling was fake. So I'm not surprised the Sheik gave you a little bit of trouble because he's, I don't yeah. know if he's still coked out or what. Right. <laughs> oh shoot, man. Yeah, that was that was a big headline. Yeah. Dude, wild stuff. But okay, so I want to get in. Listen, so the beginning of the book. Okay, now you go into a story about what it was like to work at the Tops Factory, and there's a statement in there where you talk about how, and I don't remember exactly how you put it, but it is beautifully written and it hit me hard. Where these people are on this assembly line building these card packs in 1986 and it's like they assume like oh we're wrapping these cards and kids are going to get them for christmas in 1986 but mm -hmm. it's crazy to think that these cards that their cards packaged from 82 83 86 whenever that still have not been opened and i don't know why right. i thought that was so interesting but to think about it like in those terms that Here's what it was like in the factory. Like, they would make the gum in 25-pound loaves or something like that. And right, I was right. dying cracking up because I wondered when they were making the gum in the one-ton cauldrons. <laughs> First, I thought yeah. if I worked at the factory, 
that I would take gum home every day, right? Hands down about it. But also, like, I can't believe that gum lasted so long. Like, I would like to talk to Mary Lou, who worked at the Topps yeah. factory, and ask them, hey, how did this gum last 37 years? Because I had a right. piece last week. Now, granted, it disintegrated in my mouth, but it was still in one piece. But right, the, right. even that portion of it where, like, you really find out, like, how the cards are made, right? Like, they're on assembly line. They're packing the gum with the cards. Mm -hmm. And it's just crazy to think that, like, cards – like, Mary Lou is – she worked at the Topps factory. And it's crazy to think, like, cards that she packaged still to this day right. have not been opened. Right, right. Yeah, that was uh... – it was a cool device to think of the pack as like a time capsule, you know, that um, that was sort of lost for 30 years and then I uncover it. Um, and I think that the only reason that's true is because collectors back then thinking they were going to be worth tons of money didn't open them. And yeah. of course, we know that you know, we know now that the market was just so saturated with supply and that um, none of those packs are really worth very much. I mean, you can get a pack for like four or five bucks on eBay, yeah. you know. Um, but that's why they were, they were not open because collectors saved them. Um, so yeah, it was, uh, and you'll see, uh, that, you know, the beginning of the book opens with the top factory, the end of the book, the epilogue is when I actually go and meet Mary Lou and all those people that, that worked in the factory and you get to actually, um, I get to actually talk. So I, the way, the way I was able to write that, that opening was based on my interviews with the actual people. And then I kind of reconstructed that scene. That is awesome that you were able to like track, you know, those folks down in interview because that beginning. Yeah, that was, was hard. That was it was I harder do. to track down top factory workers than it was to track down former major league baseball players. Like, it took some serious research. I had to like go to like a local historical society, and then you know they happened to know. I mean, it was it was I was actually more proud of that than finding the players. Oh, I would imagine, because I don't know how you would begin to track them down. It's not like they've got a LinkedIn profile where you can search people that worked in Tops back in 1986. Like, that to me would seem like an impossible task. Yeah, well, first I went to Tops and tried to go through them, and they were like, nah, we don't have I mean, I'm sure they do have it somewhere, but they weren't going to put the effort in to yeah. find their old employee records. So I had to then really go to the community where that factory was located and, and do some old-fashioned you know, research through that. I bet that was fun, though, right? Like digging through that. Then when you get a breakthrough and stuff, like I bet that was fun. Yeah, that's. I mean, the research part of this stuff is is a lot of fun. I mean, it's it, it can be challenging, but you know, that's kind of the first step. Is 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 you know how are you gonna the, the challenge of of finding people and getting to your sources and all that. Now, how did you get everybody's address? Like, how did? Well, that's actually surprisingly maybe disturbingly not that hard and that there are <laughs> autograph there are autograph collectors that publish books and i think it's all taken from public records yeah. but you know autograph collectors who basically have have scoured all the public records databases to find the addresses of of these former players so um you know th that was somewhat helpful but really the other thing that was helpful was that a lot of these guys because they're in their 50s and 60s still have landlines you know i think oh, yeah, so you could just sense. you could just look up a, a phone number but i think it'd be really hard to do this with younger players because I, most people don't younger people don't have landlines yeah that's true for sure and i remember you mentioning that in the book about how there's like a catalog that, and you had in parentheses yes this is for real that were there was right, a catalog yeah. with everybody's address but listen before i forget though before we get too far away from the factory I remember there was part of the book 
where you talked about your mom taking you to hobby shops where guys yeah. would have these hobby shops like in their grandma's basement wearing tank right. tops and trying to sell you cars. In Rhode Island, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I thought that was the funniest part because I could just see it, right? Like there's a guy downstairs in his grandma's basement. He's got a neon <laughs> tank top and like some Jordache jeans and a mullet. And he's like, right. yeah, you give me five bucks for this Don Carmen card. And then you're in yeah. there. It's like a 10-year-old like, no, I'll give you 250 pal. <laughs> and then your mom's right. watching you finagle the guy for the baseball cards. I loved it. Yeah, my mom, I mean, and yeah, my mom is, you know, I'm looking at it just through a naive 10-year-old size. My <laughs> mom is, you know, a, a, an adult, right? And so I think, I mean, the fact that she put up with all that and, and did all that, it was just so, I mean, I was, I'm so grateful because she took me to all kinds of places that, you know, would raise eyebrows. Dude, moms are the best, man. Like, I remember one time my dad was working late and my mom threw me batting practice and she hit me. Three, like three times, right? Like in the hip, went for my head and the whole night because she could throw a baseball fast, but she didn't have aim for shit. So I charged the mound yeah. on her one day and she loves to tell that story. But moms are the sweetest, man. Like, God, when we were kids, yeah. all the stuff that they would put up with that we would do, you know, sports wise, right. stuff we wanted to collect the whole night, you know, whether it was baseball cards, comic books, Ninja Turtles, video games. Right. It was so wild, man. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. But, okay, let me go through. I had a few other things. Oh, well, listen, one important thing, right? So you, first of all, like I said earlier, man, the way the baseball players opened up to you and invited you into their lives, I thought was one of the sweetest things forever it, that I've, like, ever seen, right? They it, they seemed so forthcoming for their career, so friendly. Like, was it Randy that wanted you to come to his 4th of July party? Well, that was uh, Jaime Kokenauer, oh, the most obscure player in the pack. Wow, yeah, that but was... also like the night, the nicest guy. Really. Listen, I forgot to mention him on my list, but that was a good chapter because he sort of like left baseball and like doesn't really miss it, right? Yeah, in fact, yeah, he was probably the guy that enjoyed it the least, even while he was playing. But also, you know, has the most, I would say, happiest most successful post-baseball life. So, you know, he's a great example of like um, the tortoise and the hare analogy of, you Mm -hmm. know, just because you're a big baseball star doesn't mean you have a great life. Um, Being, you know, his, he was not a, uh, he had the least successful baseball career, but he was a smart guy and he, you know, didn't put all his eggs in his baseball basket. And he's the one, he's got a really sweetheart wife. That's like an attorney or something, right? Really nice. yeah, Ginny. Yeah, that chapter yeah. is about. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of divorce in the book and the player stories. Jaime and Ginny are kind of the counterweight to all that. They're the the couple that stayed together and they've endured all. And and Ginny is that chapter is as much about her as it is him because of what a strong woman she is and mm-hmm. what a you know loving uh, person she is. So I really liked how that that played um, in the, in the book with, you know, the contrast with other, other marriages that, that didn't last. Yeah, that was a great chapter. And there's one section in the book and it's sort of a theme as you talk to everybody, like with Jaime and Randy and the whole crew where it's like, and you mentioned it in the Don Carmen chapter where you said that it was surprising, like how nostalgic these guys weren't about their baseball career. Like a lot of them didn't think fondly of it. And 
I, I think I sort of relate to that a little bit because I know like growing up, like my dad was always my baseball coach. And like when I was a teenager, like I sort of resented that and just generally got pissed about it because it got to a point where I got to be, you know, 12, 13, 14. I want to do my own thing. And my dad's like, hey, like it's time to play catch. You know, we got to get to work. And I'm like, I don't want to do any of that crap. Right. And being like a smart ass mm -hmm. teen, like you all sort of feel like it's forced. And it sort of took me a while to like come back to baseball because as I got older, like 18, 19, 20, 21, and start to get older and more mature and sort of have like an adult relationship with my dad, I really didn't want to think much about baseball because when I did, it sort of hurt because mm -hmm, I felt mm -hmm. like I went from enjoying baseball to sort of being like an asshole about it and not wanting anything to do with it. And then when I got older, I had a lot of regret. So I really like sort of didn't want anything to do with it. And mm -hmm. then as I've gotten older, like I think I started the podcast maybe when I was 34 or something like that. And I finally got to an age where I could appreciate like everything that I had been through and sort of, you know, like grow from it and realize like how I was in the moment and how, you know, that helped for me to have a better relationship with my dad and really grow to appreciate it. Right. Because at the end of it, like when I was young, I used to think like, oh, like I could have went to college and played ball and all that stuff. And mm -hmm. I would just sort of get pissed or whatever. But as everything's unfolded, like I feel like everything happened in my life the way it should have. Right. Because now, like, I've got a great relationship with both with my mom and my dad. And, you know, I've got a phenomenal wife who's way smarter and way better than me. And I've got an 11 month old. And so when I read that Jaime story, am I saying his name right? Jaime or Jaime? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I was, when I read through that, I was like, I, I sort of get that because it, you know, his life may have not worked out the way I guess society would say, right? Because we all, right, want to be rich and famous and have everyone like us. And then when you go through all the players, at least that I've read about in the book, you know, he's the one that's been with his wife the whole time, and he's got this great life now, but he didn't play 19 seasons and make millions right. of dollars. And again, right. like, I know it's a theme of this whole podcast. We've said it a hundred times, but it's like where baseball and life intersect, and it just hits me, like, in my current moment where it's like, man, like, I get, like, what happened because he didn't, you know, he didn't get famous and he's not in the Hall of Fame and didn't have this great career, but his life is great. And, you know, sometimes life is so uncertain. You never, you know, it's hard to say like, oh, that shouldn't have happened or that should have happened because everything, you know, sort of has happened to, you know, make us who we are today. And I feel like that's what happened in Jaime's situation. And as I'm reading that chapter, I'm like, like, I think that's what, you know, sort of happened to me too, right? Like, I didn't have, like, I guess the ideal baseball career growing up because I made dumb decisions or whatever. But now that I've gotten older, it's like I can appreciate the relationships that I have even more. And I can call my dad on the phone and talk about current baseball stuff and how the Cubs suck, right? And like all this crazy right. stuff. And it's just, again, man, just building this community around baseball is like what this book does. And so now the next time I open a pack of 86 tops, like I'm going to be looking for his card. And right, like, right, I, I just right. think it's awesome, man, how just that whole story was put together and really how – you know, you got to build that relationship with him and, you know, tell the world about it in your book. Right, right. Yeah, well, thank you. Yeah. Um, let me, oh, okay, listen, I wrote down a few questions, right? And okay. <laughs> one of the funnest parts about your book 
was there's a coffee counter at the beginning of each chapter that tells how many cups of coffee you're on. Now, one, are you still drinking coffee? Oh, yeah. Definitely. yeah. <laughs> and how many cups of coffee do you think you drank on your entire road trip? Well, I think I remember. Wasn't it like uh, 130 something? <laughs> 130 cups of coffee. That is yeah. phenomenal. You must be the Pete Rose of coffee, right? Like no one has probably drank yeah. more cups of coffee. And I like because there's one scene when you're um, you're sitting in your car and it's really hot outside and you're still like right. chugging coffee. And I'm like, bro, I can right. feel his pain right now because you're trying to get energy and your armpits right. are probably just pouring with sweat. And it's like, let me yeah. just get one more sip of this 7-Eleven coffee so we can right. punch I don't, it. I don't, yeah, I don't even like it really, but I'm still drinking it. Yeah. <laughs> and number two, listen, cheers to your Honda Accord. Like I'm a Honda guy. Yeah. Like I had a Honda <laughs> Civic that I drove the doors off of. Do you still own the Honda Accord? I do, yeah. Yes! It's got 263,000 miles on it now. Listen, yeah. that Accord Still is going. just getting broken in right now. I think it could go half a million miles, at least, <laughs> at least. Yeah, it, it served me well. It's, it really ha I mean, it's almost like it's, it's going to be a, an emotional thing to let go of it, you know? I don't think you can ever let go of it. Listen, I think <laughs> they should just send that thing to Cooperstown right now. Like, yeah. That book, that, that Accord always just has to be in your life. So if it stops running... Just, you know, park it in the garage because you always right. have to have – because that's the car, right, that you had. Listen, right. did any of the baseball players you interviewed, did they ride in the car or did you always ride with them? That's a good question. I'm trying to think if I ever um, – I think the only time I had someone riding with me was um, at the end, uh, Al Cowan's cousin billy cowens when oh, i was okay. going around like the streets of la and compton yeah i drove in that part of it um but otherwise yeah that's that's you know that's the first time i've been asked that question it's a good question <laughs> that is awesome and now listen what is what's your favorite baseball card of all time well i mean i love i love all my you know i collected certain guys like don carmen and marty barrett the guys that were the underdogs like you know their cards um, so any of their cards I always liked. I guess Mike, I was a Mike Schmidt fan too. Um, and I had Mike Schmidt's rookie card as a kid. And, um, that was always a pretty special card. Dude, that's those Phillies, those Phillies teams of the eighties and nineties, phenomenal teams. And plus I love the jerseys too, like the baby blues and all that stuff. Yeah. Man, I'm glad they they brought those back the last few years as like an occasional, we'll break those out. I love seeing the, what the were old the school. Dude, they wore them a couple of years ago. Um, cause Andrew McCutcheon was like dancing in the dugout. What do they call them? The Saturday night specials where they're the all maroon uniforms. Oh, that's right. They did that, like, yeah. <laughs> Those that are the best crazy. ever. Yeah. I think apparently like the, the original time they wore those, I think they only wore them for like one or two games it's and then one, they retired. Yeah. One game, I think. Dude, right. that's, that's what the White Sox did when they wore the shorts and they had the big collars. Right. I think they only wore the shorts like one or two games. And apparently right. the players really liked the shorts because huh. they weren't playing in polyester in 110 degree heat, which right. would make sense. Because I've always thought, like, how do players play in those unis? Because they've got to be hot. Right. Absolutely. Dude, I've got to. Listen, I wrote so many things down because I was so excited about this book. I'm going through my notes to make sure that I didn't miss anything else. I know <laughs> I like that the pack was from 1986. I think 1986 tops is probably my favorite set of all time. And I don't know why. Like, I think what happened was when I was a kid, 
So my older brother was born in 79, so he's got four years on me. And I remember he had in hit because we each had like our own baseball card albums where like, you know, when you right. collect the baseball cards, you would put like your studs in the album so you could flip it open right. and see him anytime you wanted. And in his baseball card album, he had a 1986 Don Mattingly and an Ozzy Smith. And I didn't mm -hmm. have any 86 tops at the time. So when I would look at those cards, I'd be like, dude, I want some of those. So then a few years ago when I discovered you could still buy all these cards on eBay for like you said four right. or five bucks a pack, dude, right. I'm like a hoarder like on the Discovery <laughs> Channel where they're like collecting the weirdest things. Like I just buy baseball cards now and open them and I eat every piece of gum. Like I feel like you have to, <laughs> even if the gum's 37 years old, it just has to be done. Yeah, no, it's like a rite of passage. Listen, do you have any projects coming up book-wise? Well, I've got a few ideas. I'm a, I'm a biology professor, so some of my writing is in more in science. Mm -hmm. um, and then I've got some other things that, like nothing is, is ready to go or even close to starting. But, um, and, you know, it's also because of the pandemic, it's like I couldn't do the kind of research and reporting that I like to do. So, yeah. Right now, I'm just focusing on, um, you know, promoting this book, and we're right now looking at uh, trying to. There's people that are interested in making it, adapting it for TV or film, so we're kind of looking at that. And then, um, and then, yeah, once the pandemic is over, I think I'll I'll uh, take on another project, but nothing uh, nothing going right now. Now that would be fun. Do you think? I mean, imagine you've thought about it if it was adapted for TV or film. I guess maybe mm -hmm. if that ever happened, you'd get a chance to, you know, maybe meet all these guys again and get them on film, right? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, I'm sure they would fictionalize a lot. And I think yeah. it's probably, you know, you could see it as like maybe like a limited series and they would take, I'm sure, all kinds of creative license, which is fine. But, um, and they would have actors playing everybody. But I think, yeah, as part of the research, you, you know, they might, might want to contact some of these guys and get their input. And I think that'd be pretty cool to, I mean, one of the nice things is I'm still in touch with a lot of these guys, um, yeah. you know, and so I've, the guys that I, that I met up with, they, um, they generally liked it and you know, they had a lot of high praise for it. So it's before the pandemic, I was actually going to do a book tour and, and, and make appearances with some of them. So that would have been mm -hmm. pretty cool, but you know, didn't quite work out, but, um, yeah, I'm just, you know, I'm just grateful. It, it all it all really worked out in in a nice way. How do, how does your mom like the book? Did she love it when you finished it? Oh yeah, I know she's, you know, she's a mom. She's over, over the moon about yeah. you, know, you know, uh really proud and my dad too. They both. I mean, you'll see, I don't think you've gotten there yet, but I my dad's actually in the book. I I meet up with him, so I yes. talk a lot more about my relationship with my dad there. Um but um yeah, they were both very very proud and and supportive. Dude, that is awesome. Listen, I remember when I had to talk about the cover of this book before I forget. So I remember when I got the book mm, in the yeah. mail and I opened it up out of the box at like 11 or 1130 at night because I got it from the mailbox uh -huh. and I hadn't opened it yet. And when I opened it and looked at the cover, it's like looks like a real wax pack. It's like a, right. like an a, actual top. And I was like, this is awesome. And it has like a little bit of like like a like it's got the wax pack feel to it like it's got like the creases right. and the crevices in it and i was like i can never read a book when the dust cover's on so i took the dust cover off and like set it like nice and neat in my closet because usually <laughs> the dust covers like i'll just throw them out because i don't really care and this one right. i had to keep hands down 
Yeah, they did a great job. I mean, actually, even the the paper kind of feels waxy. It's it's pretty amazing. It does, man. But that's awesome that you still keep in touch with a lot of the guys. Like, do you still talk to Don any? Yeah, I, I, of all awesome. the guys, he's the one that I, I talk to the most. Um, he, he was he actually wanted to, um, as he read the book, we had like you wanted to discuss every chapter. So <laughs> he was really into it. I mean, he, that's awesome. you know, he's just a he's a really thoughtful, intellectual guy. He really, mm-hmm. I think, appreciated, you know, what the book was all about. Yeah, he has a really interesting job. When like, so he's a baseball psychologist for the Boris Corp. Right. And that to me is really interesting. Like I feel like there are probably a lot of guys in Major League Baseball that have all the ability in the world, but when you get on that big stage and have to deal with the mental aspect of it with, you know, 30, 40, 50,000 fans screaming at you, then the pressure of the press and stuff like that. That right. has got to be an interesting, a tough, probably a fulfilling job because of all the things he's been through as like a player, you know, who played and like the highest level you could. Right. And then he, you know, gets that chance to sort of give back to players. Like I just always, like, I find that very interesting where like the mental meets the physical. Like I remember it was when you Darvish was on the Dodgers in 2017 and he was pitching in that world series where that, that season where the Astros were swiping all the signs and (laughs) he went through a ton of grief even that whole season like there was when he was still I think with the Rangers like he got rocked by like the Marlins because they said he was tipping pitches and it was like yeah. you had this guy that was you know struck out 270 guys in a season like second in Cy Young his first or second year in the season and then had like this mental breakdown where it was just sort of like the physical ability was still there but right it just like stopped happening. Like, you know, like when was it like in the early two thousands or late nineties when Rick ain't Keel for the Cardinals got the yips right? and like an yeah, NL division yeah. series with the Braves and just couldn't throw a pitch anymore. And to hear like Rick yeah. and Keel talk about his yips. And it seems like one of those things where it's like, dude, you just have to throw a baseball. Like how hard could that be? And yeah, right. <laughs> listen, this is no comparison, but two years ago I was in a cornhole tournament <laughs> And I was <laughs> listen. It sounds stupid, but I was in the finals, and the whole way, like me and my teammate are going good. And when it got to the finals, I like couldn't throw it. Like I was thinking, to, <laughs> I was you thinking. Got the yeah. I don't know if it's because I drank too much beer or what it was, but like I was thinking about the throws, and right. it like I wasn't myself. And so I was thinking about that moment after it happened, and I was like, well, that's probably what a lot of guys like you, Darvish and Rick Ankiel went through. Because right. if I'm playing cornhole in a bar, <laughs> six beers deep with a bunch of drunks around me, like, and I'm getting right. tense, like these guys have to be going through an immense just mental struggle, right? Yeah, no, totally. I mean, it's it's the same thing, you know. It doesn't matter. Yeah, it's cornhole or World Series. I mean, it's just the same thing, you know. And that's part of what the take home of the book is: is like these guys are just just guys like you and me, you know. They have they really the same are. issues. Yeah. Um, let me ask you this though, at all your trips and the three years age difference might do it, but did you ever collect pogs when you were a kid? No, that, I think that, that was, I mean, I remember being a little bit older and being, yeah. oh, okay, that's a thing, but no, I never did. Yeah. I think you were just missed that. Cause I remember going to the card shops and buying packs of cards, but then I'd pick up some pogs too at the same time. So I don't know right, why that right. hit me. It's a lot of random thoughts on this podcast, but, 
Um, <laughs> I'll try to cut it good oh, if pop, I can. Pop culture of that era, yeah. Dude, good stuff. All right, Brad. Well, I guess, um, heck, I guess we can wrap this thing up, man. But before we do, tell folks where they can get your book. Sure. Um, so you can go to waxpackbook.com, and uh, I'm on Twitter at waxpackbook. I think that's where you and I first uh, connected. Yep. Um, and yeah, you know, I always tell people, um, I like to support the independent bookstores, you know, during COVID it's a pretty tough time. So, uh, but pretty much you can get it anywhere. You can get it, um, any, any book retailer online, um, they should all, they should all carry it. Okay. Right. And I'll put those links in the, uh, the description too, for the podcast. So if you're listening and want to click on it, just, um, open the description up if you're a listener and click on the link and you can get to the book. But Brad, Thanks for being on the show, man, dude. I really appreciate it. It was a great time. Great talking to you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Right on. All right, man. See you later, dude. Okay, take care. All right, guys. Well, that's the episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. You know, I know this podcast is goofy a lot of times, and a lot of the stuff on social media is pretty goofy, but I always want to, you know, let everybody know who listens to this uh, say thanks. Thank you so much for listening to the episode. It means more than you'll ever know. It's brought me so much closer to baseball And, you know, it's really made life with, uh, you know, my wife and my daughter so much more fun to sort of embrace this, you know, life and, you know, nostalgia and baseball and how it sort of comes together. Thanks for Brad as well. Isn't Brad really good, right? Yeah. I don't know if I did a good job at interviewing him because, like I said, I'd never had an outside guest before. So at least he knew what he was doing if I didn't know what the hell I was doing. So, but thank you so much for listening. Uh, Instagram, find me on Instagram, greatest show on dirt. And also have a Twitter and Facebook too. Twitter's greatest on dirt. Facebook's greatest show on dirt. I will leave the links if you want to purchase the book in the podcast description. And I will also let you guys know when I do the giveaway. I'll order at least two or three more to give away because I think it's a phenomenal book. It's just, it's just good. You know, it makes you feel so much. It makes you appreciate the game appreciate the nuances with the game and just the little things you know and I just again love how the book does a really good job of you know describing what it's like you know at the intersection of baseball and life and that's what I love about it so much especially as I get older because you know only a few people get a chance to play pro baseball and the rest of us you know we we do the things that we do you know we get jobs we have families and we still love the game of baseball so any book that comes out like this It's just a joy to have. So thanks again for listening, and until next time, we'll see you then. Later, Gators.